The reading is from the book of Joshua. Let us be attentive. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. So they returned to Joshua, said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So they went up of the people, 3,000 men, but they fled for the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even to Shebarim, and smote them in the descent. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted, became like water. Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord till eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought all this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Would to God we had been content and stayed on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear about this, and they shall surround us, cut off our name from the earth, what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why are you lying there on your face? This is the word of the Lord. You ever heard God say that to you? <laughs> I have. I've heard God say the equivalent of, you know, I've had it about up to here with your complaints. In fact, it's getting a little higher now. Just knock it off. <laughs> now, why are we reading this tonight? Just for the heck of it, I guess. But Who can tell me why we might be reading the book of Joshua tonight? Say that a little louder. Ecclesiastical year begins when I turn that book around at the entrance. That's when, the, that's when Sunday begins. That's why I always hold the book up and I turn it around. So you see, from that point on, it's Sunday. Uh, so Sunday's already begun. And this is the what, the, what the Orthodox are calling the induction. 
I don't why why do the Orthodox pick these Latin words? I have no idea. We have perfectly good Arabic and Greek words and Russian words and even Romanian words. Why would we go pick Latin words? I have no idea. Anyway, September 1st is the beginning of the liturgical year as the Feast of, Feast of Joshua. And I'll say more about that in point one uh, tomorrow. So that's why we're reading Joshua tonight. Did you pick up on that, Raymond? After the death of Moses, the leadership of Israel passed to Joshua. Everyone in the camp must have experienced a sudden new energy and sense of resolve. Moses had been leading them for 40 years, twice as long as I've been here, twice, 40 years. The long trek through the desert was over in his first statement on assuming command, Joshua announced that the Jordan would be crossed within three days. Now for a long time, Joshua had been awaiting that hour. Recall chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, and I can see you all have instant recall on that. Back in Numbers 13, Joshua and Caleb had been part of a 12-man espionage party to scout out the land of Canaan. They had been frustrated at Israel's refusal to invade that country. Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 who voted in favor of invading. Now, this is why they were brought out of Egypt in the first place, to take the land of Canaan. Now, the espionage party votes 10 to 2 not to do it. In fact, the minority report of Joshua and Caleb was so badly received that they were nearly stoned to death. That part's in chapter 14. Now, for many years, Joshua suffered from the frustration of that experience. He knew that the death of Moses must precede the people's passage into the Promised Land, and he had maintained his patience during all of those years. Now, however, a new day of resolve had dawned. Joshua was no longer a young man, however. The rest of his life would be taken up by the utmost zeal in the purposes of God. Then you get to night story. The defeat of the Israelites at the Battle of Ai. Remember they go, they go, look at the look at eyes and, you know, 3,000 of us, we should be able to handle that. And of course, the Iites, I guess, I <laughs> they came out and, and, as we would say back in Kentucky, they whooped them. And then's when you get the prayer of Joshua tonight. 
See, even God's most zealous servants are still frail human beings. As manifested in their times of discouragement. I think that's why the Lord permits us to fail sometimes, and sometimes a lot of times. It's remind us that we're still creatures of flesh and blood. If we've made any progress at all in the life of the Spirit, God is certainly going to not let us know about that. He will disguise it. Joshua was no exception to that pattern. The text illustrating this point is the case of Joshua in tonight's reading with his prayer in response to the defeat of the Israelites at the siege of Ai. You've all heard the story tonight. Listen again to the prayer. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and stayed on the other side of the Jordan. What does that sound like? That's the cry the people are making in the desert. Oh, we should never have left Egypt. Never left Egypt. This is just our second battle here, and we we lose it. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Now I'm sure that Joshua was sincere in this prayer. But it is a bit much. He had sent 3,000 men against the city, and they suffered 36 casualties. Did you hear that tonight? 30 and 6. Hardly the worst defeat in military history. But to hear Joshua tell it, it's all gone. Hope is lost. There's no way we can possibly prevail because we suffered a defeat and lost 36 people. The inflections of this prayer strike us as exaggerated, unreasonable, melodramatic. In fact, I want to say hysterical. One has the impression that Joshua was not thinking very clearly that day. It was hardly his finest hour. And the Lord's response to the prayer seems to display even a certain measure of impatience. Get up while you're lying there on your face. The exaggerated tone and the unreasonable quality of Joshua's prayer are indicated by two considerations. I say this because I think all of us have done this from time to time. The slightest setback, the slightest setback, and we think it's all lost. It's all lost. First, there's the general context. Within the pre previous few days, 
Joshua had beheld the Jordan River dried up in order for the chosen people to walk over his bed. Just a few days earlier, he'd seen that happen. Now we find him wishing we'd stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Just prior to the debacle at Ai, Joshua had witnessed the dramatic conquests of Jericho. Its walls reduced to the rubble at the blast of the trumpet. He had seen the city walls collapse when his non-union trumpeters walked around and played the horn. He'd seen that. But the dust of that victory has hardly settled before Joshua is rendered fearful that Israel will be wiped out by the Canaanites because he didn't send a big enough army against Ai. The single setback at Ai erases in his mind all the remembrance of recent and more auspicious events. I say we all do that. Let's think of how much we have seen the wonders of God in our lives. And then one little thing happens and we lose our nerve. Second, there's the immediate context. Simply put, the defeated eye hardly signaled the darkest hour of Israel's history. It was an unexpected setback, but nothing more than an unexpected setback. Joshua sent out about 3,000 troops, and he had 36 casualties. Most generals in history have considered that acceptable odds. But to hear Joshua tell it, one would think it is really just to suffered the worst slaughter in military history. What shall we say about Joshua's anxiety and distress? First of all, it seems out of character with what we know about him from the Bible as a whole. It seems out of character. And I think it is. But is it out of character for someone made of flesh and blood? It's not out of character at all. And we're all made of flesh and blood. May it not be that even Joshua's distress serves as a source of comfort for the rest of us during our own times of anxiety, a sense of failure. If our reactions to adversity are on occasion somewhat exaggerated and unreasonable, it may be useful to remember that this was true likewise of the figure so zealous and brave as the conqueror of Jericho. Recently, I was back in Kentucky visiting with uh, siblings and cousins. And they reminded me of something I'd quite forgotten. Our
our grandfather, whose name, by the way, was Patrick Henry Reardon, and until his death, I was always Patrick Henry Reardon II. My grandfather was a very amazing man. Some of my cousins reminded me that there was a large mirror in our grandparents' house. I remember the mirror very well. I, in fact, I kind of wanted that mirror after he died, but nobody gave it to me. It was a, but it was, a, it was a sizable mirror. You could see yourself, every, all of you, inside. What they reminded me of was this. Any time a child in our family cried, my grandfather would simply put them in front of that mirror. He says, just stand here and cry and see how stupid you look. Amen.